Hello and welcome to Talk the Line. I'm Jen Long. On this podcast, I talk to some of our favourite people about the subjects they are most passionate about. This week, we're back at Iceland Airwaves talking to Siggy Balderson, who's been one of the most recognisable figures in Icelandic music for almost 40 years. He played alongside Björk in the early 80s post-punk band Kuch, and he joined her as a founding member of the Sugar Cubes. But in recent years, he's helped Icelandic bands to make a name for themselves across the world as the head of Iceland Music Export. But I spoke to him during Iceland Airwaves about the environment and climate change. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you're crazy busy at the moment. Mm. I know most people will know you from the Sugar Cubes. Yeah. But you actually work a lot putting this festival together right um, putting we, together all the all of iceland icelandic music looking after all the artists promoting everything 20 years of iceland airwaves yeah well four years of this conference actually four years and what are the kind of successes that you've seen sorry i just thought we could talk a little bit about where we are right now because your office is so amazing who are the kind of like big icelandic artists that you're looking after that you've kind of seen grow over your tenure being um, being kind of like the driving force in Icelandic music really uh, <laughs> this um, no I'm not going to take a lot of credit personally for this stuff that's happening um, although I mean Bad Taste our little label was quite an incubator for a lot of the stuff that's now sort of getting old Smeklesa Smeklesa. <laughs> Funny thing is, Bad Taste was Smeklesa was actually formed as a an umbrella organization in '86 for basically a bunch of artists mm. by a th- mostly two groups: a group of uh, punk survivors, me and Einar and Björk and a few of our friends, mm. and also uh, a group of uh, writers, Sean and Thoreldon and Ina Melix and others. And came together and formed an umbrella organization that uh, was supposed to sort of poke the eye of good tastemakers in arts and crafts and Iceland, in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And uh, started doing that. But then we d- decided we needed to uh, form a pop band for the organization to make some money. So we formed the Sugar Cubes. And that was sort of a tongue-in-cheek project. But still, it we never had expected it to sort of go where it went. Oh. I did not know that was the ori- origins of uh, Smeklisa. No, that is the origins. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, we're not talking about music at all today, though, no. are we? We're talking about, I mean, something very important. I think out of all the topics that we've done on the podcast, this is probably the most urgent yeah. that we've ever ever discussed. You want to talk about the current state of the environment. Right. Where do you want to begin? Because <laughs> it's, there's there's a lot there's a lot to discuss, and we've well, only got about half an hour. It's very unusual to have seven to ten degrees in November here in Iceland. Now, mm. I mean, the weather here should be should be snowing actually, right? And uh, frosty, but it's not. Um, and I mean, we're getting here in the Nordic regions. We're s- we're seeing some of the first. Well, we're seeing a lot of the global warming happening here. Uh, however, I mean, 
I'm also, you, we're seeing it a lot in other places as well. I mean, the United States are getting a lot of these crazy storms coming in mm. over Florida and, and the, um, the islands outside. And even into the, the, the Gulf of Mexico and basically deregulized weather systems. And that's extreme weather systems is sort of the first, the first uh, real sort of things we see in the, in the changing weather. Um, and the problem we're facing now, of course, with is that uh, we're getting too late to do something about it. Yeah. There was a report recently that said we have 12 years uh -huh. to turn everything around. Mm -hmm. But, mm. I mean, we're, we're talking pr pretty serious um, things. Like, we have to totally change a lot of behavioral systems that we have. And, and yeah. a lot of uh, consum uh, consumer uh, society that we live in is going to have to change quite drastically mm. if we're going to really tackle this properly. And, and that is a real issue. Um, uh, like I was saying the other day, I mean, we can r rap on about <laughs> the relevance of music and art for till the cows come home, but uh, that's all going to matter very little unless we do something about this crap. Mm. So what's the kind of first thing? What's the, what's the first? Do you want to discuss the actions that people can take, things that you can do to halt climate change or to at least hinder it um do you want to talk about the effects that you've seen do you want to talk about the impacts and you know s things to do with a lot of people talking about plastic right now yeah there's a lot of good things happening though people are starting to recycle a lot of plastics and, and paper and, and and stuff like that and but and and sort of there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, awareness about eating less meat and mm. Stuff like that. I mean, that's the number one thing that you can do to to help with climate change, isn't it? Is to yes, and we also have to. Dairy. I think we also have to sort of um, try to put political pressure on governments. Yeah. To basically deregulate a lot of systems, or actually re-regulate, especially <laughs> regarding the United States, they have to sort of re-regulate a lot of what they've been doing because the recent government has been deregulating a lot of stuff yeah. in regards to uh, emissions and. Pulling out of the Paris Treaty. Yeah. But, of course, that doesn't take effect until 2020. Okay. But what uh, what um, Trump has been doing and, and his administration is to, to basically take uh, out of effect a lot of regulations that had been put in place regarding emissions and um, oil as well and mm. coal. Yeah, coal. Mm. It's mad to say, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. crazy when you think, like, I mean, I, I'm from Wales, and the the miners' strikes were in the 80s, when you know coal mining was was the kind of like driving force of the country. Yeah, and that was only in the 80s. That was what only 30 odd years ago mm. that people people depended upon coal, and yeah. now we have electric cars. We have the possibility to drive around on things that we charge up from poles in the street it's yeah. kind of incredible how quickly society can change yes um that, that's the thing that there are quite a few things in place already and it's sort of it's an awareness issue as well people need to sort of we need to become more aware of what we can do um 
say just for one, here in Iceland, we can actually quite easily become the first nation in the world to operate on sustainable energy, pretty much. Mm. We don't need to... And I, uh, by 2030, we could be running everything here on uh, electricity and very clean electricity, not not made with coal or right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, most people here, you're you're going to the house and the heating will be on full blast, and yeah. there'll be a window open. And to I think to us Brits, we're, we'd usually be like, close the bloody window, all yeah. the heat's gonna get out. You yeah, know, it's like, <laughs> it's such a we, like it's yeah. kind of like a. a it messes with your head when you go in and the windows are open but the heating's on but you have a different different source of electricity here yeah, and it's have, a lot cheaper because of that we have some ridiculously good systems here um not because we're so smart but but because we're kind of lucky um there's a lot of very geothermal energy very close hot water basically close to the surface it's a volcanic island and people have found ways of harnessing that quite well here so all the houses in Iceland are heated with hot water that is basically just pumps itself out of the out of the earth. You so just it have needs to drill. no heating. No, you can it's basically already yes. heated by the earth itself. Yeah, that's amazing. And we make a lot of the electricity with geothermal power as well. Mm. So they're using steam from the earth to power turbines. Right. Yeah. And that's a smart way of making electricity because <laughs> you're getting steam. Um, <laughs> Which is not so such a pollutant, although there is a bit of, of gases that come with that. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of hydropower here, which is, even though some of it damages pristine country, it is uh, pristine nature, it is still sort of a relatively clean source of power. Mm. Um, but instead of selling that to aluminum smelters, we could be growing more vegetables or you know, doing something smarter with that energy. Um, Selling it to what, sorry? Pardon? Aluminum smelters. Aluminium smelters. So what happens? We're, we have three aluminium smelters in Iceland. Right. Aluminium factories that <sighs> basically make aluminium. For tin foil. Yeah. And, and airplanes things. and right, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. The issue... The issue here is that people will say, yes, if we aren't making this aluminum with clean energy, mm. it's going to be made with dirty energy elsewhere, that polluting more. Right, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but I, I just think we could be doing things a lot smarter here. And um, I think we need to put more pressure on our government here to to actually do more things environmentally. And because we could actually be almost like a, a testing ground here for um, environmentally friendly practices. Yeah. We could be the first nation running only on electric cars. Uh, we could do much more for development of uh, different power sources. Do you think the population size helps with that, having not so many people... I mean, you, what is it, is it? Four hundred thousand people in Iceland. Uh, Three hundred fifty. Three hundred fifty thousand yeah. people in Iceland. So Iceland, the entire population of I Iceland is smaller than Manchester. Yeah. Right. That's incredible because the country is massive. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that helps in terms of changing public opinion 
that there's not so much public to, to change the mind of. Yeah. Yes and no. We, we get spoiled easily. Mm. You know, when you have a lot of free energy, free hot water, or not mm. free, but easy access hot water, Yeah, people get quite spoiled with that. And, you know, they leave the tap running. And I, I mean, the tap water here is pristine. It's mm. I mean, you couldn't buy this shit in bottles, really. As you know, I still find I find it really shocking going to festivals, uh, even even in the UK. Even in the UK, there's still so much plastic, so much pla- plastic water at festivals. Yeah. Um, a friend was telling me a story about when he put on Caribou years and years ago, and their rider just said access to a tap, <laughs> which is brilliant. Imagine if all artists did that. Because I go yeah. to festivals in, I mean, I went to one in um, in Italy this summer. And everywhere, bottled water, bottled water. And I had my, my reusable bottle. And I was just drinking out of the tap for about three days. And someone said to me, oh, you can't do that. And I was like, why? They said, oh, it's not good. The water's not good. And I looked into it. And the water was fresh off the mountains. And right. was, yeah, like you say, pristine water, completely drinkable. Because I just couldn't, they, they have like fountains in the street, drinking fountains in the street. So I thought, well, if you've put a drinking fountain in the street, logically, you'd assume that the water is all right to drink. Yeah. But still, everyone just couldn't, they couldn't get out of the mindset of having to drink from a plastic bottle. No, this comes back to the, the biggest problem with, with change, and that's behavioral patterns. They're not always the smartest, but they're the hardest to change. Yeah. Um, we have some very <laughs> stupid behavioral patterns <laughs> that we're stuck in. Um, just, you know, driving gasoline cars all mm. over the place and... And basically, yes, flying in airplanes and everything, everything we do, and uh, just behavioral patterns with all the packaging, with our food, all this stuff. Yeah. We need to, this needs to change quite dramatically in the next few years f- to make any real sense. That's one of the things. The other thing is basically political pressure. I mean, there's maybe a hundred companies in the world that are responsible for seventy percent of all emissions. Really? Yeah. Name and sh- name them, name them. <laughs> yeah, name and shame them. <laughs> name and shame them. Yeah, <laughs> this is easily information easily accessible on, yeah. on online. What we do with our recycling, personally, of course, matters a lot as well. Mm. But political pressure on governments and not least um, companies in the world is is a real issue, and there are various ways of doing this. I'm actually reading a very interesting book now by Naomi Klein called No Is Not Enough. Mm. She's written some good books in the past. I mean, her, one of her first things was No Logo. Yeah, it's a very famous book. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, since then, I've usually read everything she puts out. Right. A very intelligent uh, writer and, and has, and is not just sort of crying, but she's also pointing to solutions that, you know, there are s- innovative solutions that are possible there are it is possible to create networks that can put political pressure on on politicians on Mm. companies and have an effect i mean we've created enough networks to put pressure on celebrities i don't know why we can't use it for a greater good (laughs) bloody celebrities useless crap (laughs) but i mean is the is the number one thing that people can do? It's to eat less meat, right? If everyone in the world went vegetarian, it would be a far greater impact than everyone stopping driving their car and Probably everyone stopping yes. air travel. 
mm. like that I, I i i definitely read that the number one thing you can do is reduce your meat, meat and dairy intake yeah a lot of people are doing that already that's that's a, a lot of these grassroots things that we feel in our environment are mm. positive we mustn't sort of but there's just so much more that we need to do than that yeah but i mean that's an easy thing for people to do and it's a thing that if people did apply themselves and it's not difficult to you know to switch and just have a nice vegetarian have a bit of pasta or even <laughs> you know like even switching to just f fish instead of meat i know yeah. that fish is obviously and we could talk about that because this is a country that's very close to the ocean in terms of your economy and in terms of the way that you guys live and fish is pretty big here but just on the meat side i think it's really interesting how even our diet we've and I've talked about this with a friend, how it, it's been constructed into a linear narrative. And it's that, again, it's like changing thinking where you start out as a, you know, on top is carnivore. And then the next step is a vegetarian, sorry, pescatarian. And then it's a vegetarian and then it's a vegan. So if you don't eat dairy, say you switch to oat milk or something, right. but you still eat fish or you still have, it, people can't, it doesn't click. It, no. People can't process it because also you're vegan. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just going to, I have fish like once a week or something. It doesn't make any sense. This discussion can become also. Vegetarian. Yeah, just, you know, it's, like a, it's like a linear narrative, isn't it? Yes. They kind but of reduce into each other. But this discussion can become very complex very quickly. So like for us here in Iceland, switching from dairy to say oat milk, mm. uh, we need to import the oat milk from Sweden. <laughs> So I've seen a lot of Oatly here. Yes. There's, there's, there's a, a huge carbon footprint that comes with changing to oat milk now. Yeah. Unless we can start com producing it here in Iceland. Um, there's a lot of issues, you know, this, this is a complex discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to sort of look at it from, from different, uh, different viewpoints. So with, the, with, with fishing here and with the ocean, how, how sustainable... Is Icelandic fishing? Have you are you aware of? Yes, it th there's a lot of research that goes into the fisheries here. Yeah, and they do a lot of research on um, the fishing grounds, on the state of the fisheries of the uh, what do you say the the state of the cod? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the resources. The yeah, fish the stock. Yes. State of yeah, the state of the stocks yeah. and the state of the species, the cod, the different species being fished around the country mm. so th there's a lot of research that goes into that and there's quotas for how much cod can be caught in the in and around the country the cod wars my dad was telling me about those those were with scotland was it with the uk no was that iceland. in the in the 90s iceland and I, the uk we were in a cod seven, war weren't 70s we? and early 70s, 80s right yes. the cod wars when iceland actually unilaterally moved out its um its uh, what do you call it? It's uh, it's kind of um I don't know a area. Yeah, the the, air, the, the sovereign area of right. control around the country, of the fishing grounds. They moved it from like fifty miles to two hundred miles. And that impeached on what we thought was UK ocean territory. Yeah, well, the UK had been for a long time fishing these areas around Iceland. Yeah, because the the North Atlantic is very fertile with with mm. fishing grounds. And we love cod. We love a fish and chips in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. 
it sounds mad, doesn't it? But then it just happened this summer between the UK and France. We had scallop wars. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think we might, in the near future, we might, with growing populations and uh, mig- you know, the migration happening from war-torn places in like the Middle East mm. to Europe and stuff, this is just, I think, the beginning of what we're going to be seeing in the next 20, 30 years. Well, I mean, if if climate does keep changing and if it becomes irreversible, then a lot of places that are currently have inhabited across the country, are gonna, across the world, are going to become inhabitable and are going to become unfertile. Yes. It's like that movie, isn't it, with Matthew McConaughey when he goes up into space. Right, I haven't What's seen that, called? sorry. Oh, my God, we did an interstellar. We did a whole podcast on it with Shura. Okay. It's, very, it's a very upsetting film, but the Earth becomes so infertile that no one can live here no one can grow anything anymore it doesn't right. we use up all the energy and we can't produce any any food for ourselves right do you think that will happen in 30 years time mm. we'll see a ma- mass exodus from places like spain because they can't grow any more vegetation i think with with also with climate changing and sea we haven't even started talking about sea levels rising right that's going to fuck up a lot of um areas around the world we're going to see a lot of migration happening and and, mm. and stuff like that um, i suppose you think you know it's everything it's almost magic how how the world does work and the science behind it and how you know everything feeds into everything else and makes it a place that we can actually survive but i suppose even the tiniest change even a rise of like one degrees in the earth's atmosphere yeah can I- impact massively it's going to impact a lot more and and it's starting to happen quicker than predicted mm. because it's almost like a um, a parabolic like effect a self yeah uh, is when when heat starts rising um, and you you start seeing glaciers melting you have more dark material or earth coming into mm. contact with radiation from space Right. creating more heat within the Earth's atmosphere, and it's going to happen quicker than I think has been predicted. Like if you put an ice cube in a very shallow drink, yeah, it doesn't melt as quickly as if you put an ice cube in a pint. Right. Yeah. God, that's terrifying, isn't yes. it? It's and just going to uh, keep s- as a catalyst. Some other things that have been coming into light recently, like um, gases being released from frozen tundra. Like oh, in wow. Yes. That have been frozen there for millennia yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of uh methane gas that's mm. kept in frost in the frozen tundra like in in northern parts of russia right and in siberia places like that shit starts to melt there you're going to have a lot of gas escaping into the atmosphere and that gas only it's only hurries up the melting yes. more it's in the more gas and hurries up the heating of the atmosphere God, so what can we, what do you think? You think putting pressure on Parliament. Are there groups that you think do these things well? I know places like, um, people like Greenpeace are looking to do more around these areas. Um, I was talking to them recently, they're going to be creating ocean sanctuaries, Mm -hmm. trying to protect 30% of the world's oceans, like we have national parks, I suppose. Yes, We don't do that on sea, do we? We do it on land, but we don't do it in the sea. But there's, they've been pointing to a lot of um, uh, acidi- acidization of, of the oceans. Mm. They're becoming acidicized or more acid. Yeah. Um, and 
that affects coral reefs and the whole uh, ecosystem of the of the ocean is also changing quite fast because of heating and there's other aspects as well mm. like uh, yeah and the problem is that um, when we're always striving for more growth uh, economically um, part of this ecological war is capitalism but capitalism <laughs> needs more growth it doesn't strive for equilibrium it strives for growth that's that's the basis of capitalism. Yes, yeah. and th th that's the problem that we have. We need to also sort of um, strive for more equilibrium and less growth. And that's also quite a behavioral change. Well, I mean, <laughs> speaking of growth, isn't, I think Sir David Attenborough said that the best thing, another big thing that people can do to slow the impact that we're having on the earth is to slow our population growth, mm -hmm. to s stop having so many bloody kids. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, can can governments in ten years, twenty years time, will governments start putting in, you know, much like um, <clears throat> much like they had in China, laws yeah. about how many children you can have? That's always going to be very controversial. It's very controversial, isn't um, it? Yes, that's a hu very controversial issue, but there are ways of promoting that without basically setting laws mm. as to like you can only have one child. But you can promote that by awareness. And the whole awareness issue is so important. Uh, not only towards sort of um, global warming, <laughs> but towards environmentalism in general. And this plays a part of it. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, population, population, um, halting population growth is a huge part of this issue yeah. as well. But then there was a report in the UK that um, adoption has shrunk massively over the last decade because IVF has become so successful. So couples that would have had to, quote, unquote, resort to adoption before can now have their own babies. Right. So it's like it just feels like science is pushing us in the wrong direction <laughs> in that sense. Do you think? Mm, yes That's what I no. think. I kind of feel like it's w like we're harnessing science to inevitably create a bigger problem right i i don't think this is a, a huge problem though i think um there's other problems that are a lot more pressing than whether people can have babies artificially or not but in the conversation of population growth population growth is the the one thing that i think is gonna really really push on climate change right like if there were less people, there'd be a less of lesser footprint. Yes and no. If, <laughs> <laughs> but if we keep on p polluting and consuming like we do, I think that's of course population plays mm. a part in this. It's part of the whole picture, but we can't take sort of single things out of the picture, and and focus just on them. We need to do more focusing on the big picture. Okay. What would be your advice to people listening who are... Education, self-education. Yeah, that <laughs> is the big one, isn't it? Go online and, and, and educate yourself. Because today we have ways to educate ourselves that we didn't have before. We always had libraries, of course. Mm. But we have this right at our fingertips right now. The problem is not all the education you get online is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 and that... <laughs> 
I wouldn't go as far as sort of agreeing with Mr. Trump about sort of false news, oh. which is all on his terms, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But um, educating ourselves is, is a responsibility mm. that we need to take seriously as well. Yeah. Find a good resource, educate yourself, and yeah. then use that knowledge to make tiny changes. Yes. And I mean, web pages that are all about uh, conspiracy theories aren't really the best education you can get. <laughs> um, they're interesting, on the yeah. other hand. But then the thing is, it's so real. It's so real, and it's so terrifying that I think people struggle reading about what's happening to the earth and reading the actual hard gritty science because it's it's a really bleak picture. Yeah. Like we we've re we've really fucked it. Yeah. P yes. Kind to the point where it feels like there's no hope. Right. It doesn't help that the most powerful nation on earth has demonized every idea beginning with the word social. How do you mean? <laughs> Socialism, right? I mean, in the United States, you can't talk about any social issues without. That's right. I was thinking of the social network then. <laughs> being being branded a communist, no. Right. Okay. I see I what just you think mean. think ideologies are, are a huge problem here, mm. and uh, dogma, religion. I I see a lot of problems with dogma, religion, ideologies. Uh, I I think science is what's going to help us, not really what's going to put us in the corner. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I was just playing devil's advocate for a second. Oh, I, I love that. That's good. <laughs> That's very healthy. So um, the idea that uh, that God is not going to save us, stop no. putting all your eggs in that basket and read a science book. Yes. <laughs> I think it was Noam Chomsky that pointed out recently that it, you know, part of our problem with climate change issues in the United States is that almost half of the population actually believes that Christ is coming again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God. To take us all away from this <laughs> terrible <laughs> thing we've created for ourselves. Oh, we shouldn't and laugh because people, this is actually people's actual beliefs, but oh man, what do you, how do you, how do you change someone's, like, it's someone's beliefs that are so deep-seated their entire worldview is built upon them. How do you change that? Like, surely that's irreversible. Yes, that's what I fear. So we actually might be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not saying. But we shouldn't stop fighting. <laughs> I mean, no, you're completely right. The more talk, more people that can talk about it. Yeah. The more people that have a have a position of power that can, you know, I think you're sl slowly starting to see. Um, people with platforms using those platforms for the greater good instead of just trying to sell makeup products. Yeah. You know, I think you're slowly starting to see people that, that put, when I was young, politics was a boring thing that you didn't engage with. Politics was for your dad. Right. I feel like now younger people are far more aware, definitely in the UK, I don't know if it's the same here, far more aware of what is happening around them right. and far more willing to engage in a conversation about it and to, to do something about it. And I think, yeah, seeing seeing pop stars come out and you know talk about going to vote and 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 making it something that is on the public agenda i think if that can happen a bit more with 
the environment, perhaps that's a good starting place. Yeah. I mean, pretty soon, we're not really going to have a choice. <laughs> so shrugging our shoulders about the environmental issues is is not going to work for very long. And I, we, are, we are starting to see a lot of people vocalize this a lot more mm. in, in public discussion. And you're right. I mean, it would be very helpful if we had a few more of these Snapchat stars talking about environmental issues rather than makeup products. And the whole influencer marketing thing just <laughs> gags me to no end. <laughs> We're too old for this shit. <laughs> I am getting too old for this shit. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, you so much for taking time out of airwaves to talk to us. <laughs> Absolutely. This was fun, actually. <laughs> A big thanks to Siggy and a big thanks to Iceland Airwaves. Tickets are now on sale for 2019. You've been listening to Talk the Line. I'm Jen Long. This is a podcast from the line of Best Fit. It's produced by Paul Bridgewater with original music by Seams. We upload a new episode every other week, but for the next three weeks up until Christmas, it's going to be weekly because we are changing things up in the new year. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Follow us on social media. We have more news to come. See you next week.